Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1118, with guest Dan North. Recorded Friday, March 13th, 2015. Hey, welcome back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Dan North is with us. We're going to have a good old time today. But uh, first, I just want to let everybody know the snow is melting. Yay! And my allergies are subsiding because I'm most of the way through spring already. <laughs> first world problems. <laughs> there you go. Non, yeah, non-snowbound problems. We just didn't get a winter. I, you got both of them. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, I said it before. We got 10 winters. Nice. Hey, uh, I just wanted to let people know that um, Music to Code Bike still goes on, and I'm still developing tracks for it, and the new tracks are available at store.pwop.com, and you might want to just sign up for the newsletter so you get notification when there's new tracks, because a lot of people have been asking me about that. Yes. Okay. How you doing, Mr. Campbell? I, I am absolutely well. You know, and, uh, I'm only taking a normal amount of antihistamines as opposed to the, wow, I'm not actually sitting in my chair. I'm hovering over it level. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. And uh, got a great comment about your tip for getting skunk smell out of dogs. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, it was uh, on Twitter, I think. Um, somebody said the best thing he's ever learned on .NET Rocks was your solution which was, what was it? Vinegar and... They, you, we used uh, uh, pro- hydro peroxide at 3% and baking soda baking. with soap yeah. to wash the dog, but then we boiled off a, uh, a, a a bottle of vinegar to get it out of the house. Yeah, it was, a, it was a tweet. I can't find it now, but the best thing he ever learned on .NET Rocks was uh, that tip because his dog apparently... Uh, ran into a skunk and tomato juice wasn't working. So. Nope. I think that I almost think the tomato juice thing is a myth. Yeah, apparently. Right? Like it's, it's, uh, it's an acid, either hydrogen peroxide or vinegar. Yeah. The, the nice thing is the vinegar dissipates on its own and it's not painful to the dog. Yeah, right. So my, my, uh, my, my, my tip for getting the skunk smell out of your dog, um, if you're in Britain is don't take your dog to America. <laughs> i have, have never had the problem of skunk smell in my dog do you, do you have skunks in the uk <laughs> no, really no, that's no. really funny wow it's well fantastic. you remember the story right that he actually got skunked while i was in working in amsterdam yeah and so i was i had pulled up the back door camera so they could actually see my wife and daughter cleaning the dog from oh. the skunk smell and literally they had never seen a skunk they had no idea the only they, they were saying the only skunk i know is pepe le pew yeah that's funny all right let's roll the music for <laughs> better awesome. no framework because i got awesome. something really cool for you richard <laughs> Everybody, what do you got? It's one part cool and one part weird. And the weird part will be obvious when I read the title. It's on Indiegogo, Rocketbook, Cloud Integrated Microwavable Notebook. Why do you want to microwave a notebook? That's a really great question. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you're expecting that question, Carl. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Let me just read 
the Indiegogo. Send written notes to the cloud, perfectly organized, no extra hardware, just paper and pen. All right. So Rocketbook allows people to enjoy the pleasure of writing in a traditional paper and pen notebook while digitizing all notes and sending them to the cloud without introducing any special electronics. A combination of a special notebook and a mobile app that work together, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's the, the, the weird part. To erase the whole book, simply throw it in the microwave for 30 seconds. <laughs> Is that not wow. brilliant? <laughs> brilliant. That's awesome. And weird, but awesome. No, I, I mean, I kind of understand it. You know, that applies a certain amount of heat. And a dry, a very dry heat. So I could see that just evaporating anything off of it. But yeah, it's still, it's, uh, give me a sec. I, I need a clean page. I'm going to go microwave my book. Yeah. It brings together chemistry and high tech technology and electronics all together. Uh, it's just wonderful. I That's love that. Brilliant. So that is in no way a euphemism. I'm going to go and microwave my notebook. <laughs> no, oh God. No, I hope nope. not. I don't know what you do over there in the UK, but we don't do that here in America. Uh, it's at tinyurl.com slash cloud rocket book and rocket R O C K E T rocket. Awesome. Yeah. That's there great, dude. Isn't I think that... I'm gonna, I may have to sign up for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Who's talking to the us? most unusual thing I've learned today. Yeah. Uh, besides the skunk thing. Well, obviously <laughs> clearly beside the skunk thing. <laughs> Wait, this is a heavily front loaded net rocks. We're just. Fully information. Absolutely. We haven't even <laughs> read the comment yet. Go, Oh, Richard. yeah. We should do that. Go ahead. Grabbed a comment off of show 1034, the one we did with Robert Bogue when we were talking about gathering requirements. Right. And thinking, you know, we're thinking Agile today. Actually, we got a ton of comments on that show. Terrence is, I really appreciate it. He said, uh, having recently been, quote, promoted from software developer to software architecture... Yeah, it's like, is that actually a promotion or is that punishment? I don't know. <laughs> Within my company, it has taken me the better part of a year to realize that having the most perfect software architecture is not the end goal. The lessons shared in this podcast, and we were talking about architecture and good enough and, and you know, actually iterating to learn what people need, mm-hmm. were all too familiar as I remembered having gone through them and finally realized that the key to repeatable success is making sure that we are building the right thing from day one. Yep. This involves getting real business requirements understood quickly. We've all been through what feels like the spinning of the wheels, iterating over the same set of requirements multiple times before it is right in the eye of the customer. I will be sure to use some of these techniques to try and speed up the process of getting the actual requirements out sooner. I have listened to you guys for almost a year now, and I wish I'd found the podcast sooner. The variety of topics covered is awesome, and I can say that I look forward to the whiskey references and giveaway jokes as much as the technical content. Well, there you go. <laughs> so keep it up. <laughs> Terrence, thank you. Glad we could help. Uh, I think Robert Bogue is awesome too. And we're going to have some more great agile conversations today. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps because we've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to Mr. Dan North, who you've already heard. He has been coaching, coding, and consulting for over 20 years with a focus on applying systems thinking and simple technology to solve complex business problems. He uses techniques from lean operations, theory of constraints, and agile software development to help IT organizations anticipate and respond to the challenges of changing business needs. He has a much bigger bio that goes beyond that, which you can find at .netrocks.com. Welcome, Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always great. I know this is going to be a fun show, and it's not even the last show of the day, Richard. 
Yeah, we're just getting warmed up here. I'm just thinking, I don't know that we've done sort of the traditional format show with Dan. We get to usually talk to him in person, which makes it, you know, extra silly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I must say, this this is rather surreal for me because we're neither in a Winnie Bago nor holding fine whiskey. <laughs> so I'm not sure how this is going to work. Ooh, yeah. wait a minute. We could work on that second thing. I think I have some over here. It's yeah. a... Oh, I'm, well. drink, I'm drinking tea, thanks. It's a bit early in the morning for whiskey for me. Well, it's afternoon here, so technically I'm I'm okay. It's late afternoon here. I'm drinking champagne, gentlemen. There you go. Fine champagne. Um, so, accelerating agile. Yeah. I thought agile was done, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> how, how do you elicit tweets? <laughs> the problem I have with this whole thing is I don't think Agile was ever done. And that's why we're in the mess we're in now. I think so the the term Agile has gone mainstream very much. Um, I keep taking it back to the manifesto. A bunch of a bunch of folks in a in a skiing lodge in, in Utah like 15 years ago. Um, and they came out with, I think, some profoundly simple fairly obvious principles. They said, we think having process and having tools is important. We think that individual, individuals and interactions are, are more important. Yeah. It's really not that hard. They're not saying documentation is evil. They're saying that working software might be more useful, which is kind of reasonable thing to, 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 to assert. Sure. Um, what then transpired, it seems, in the, in the uh, following decade, is they discovered it's really hard to sell that. Right. So what you're trying to sell is, what you're trying to get people to learn is they need to make trade-offs. Um, there is no free lunch. You know, it's, this stuff requires experience. The way to make, the, the good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from bad decisions. We need to mess up a bunch of times. Um, do you think that, uh, do you think that what part of the problem is that when a team is hired, you know, and brought in, they the 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 people running the show just automatically assume well everybody's awesome everybody is above average everybody is exceptional and can do everything so quality is sort of assumed from day 1 you know well uh, how could it not be high quality because we have these awesome people here sort of a little hubris going on maybe blinding hubris it's interesting it's interesting because i I think it's the opposite. I think it's, or at least it, it could be just massively different expectations. I think, mm -hmm. um, so for a lot of processes that call themselves agile or teams or projects or organizations that call themselves agile are more often than not desperately adhering to a very rigid definition of a particular big A agile methodology. Mm. It's usually scrum, so that's the easy one to pick on, but you know, there's others, there's DSDM, there's XP. Remember that extreme programming? Oh yeah, XP extreme programming. So and and the the seventeen middle aged white men who were in that uh, ski lodge, you know, they were representing a whole bunch of successful empirically tested uh, um, delivery methods. They had things like adaptive and crystal and FDD and some some fairly successful methods in there. And but the thing that made those people able to execute and the thing that made them i think the thing that made them successful is they were able to understand context they were able to understand what in this particular project in this team in this organization is going to make the difference and it's really hard to learn that in a two-day weekend class right in fact i would argue it's impossible to teach that in a two-day weekend class the um 
the problem then becomes as a large organization, I hear about this and this, this agile stuff sounds like what I want. It sounds like better, faster, cheaper. Let me go buy myself some agile. Yeah. And when someone says, well, you know, well, sorry, Mr. Franklin, uh, this is very nuanced and it basically requires you to screw up a bunch of times and to, to learn from those mistakes and to understand. I'm like, stop there. What can I buy? You know, and then you say, well, what we have is this sheep dip training, to use Andy Hunt's lovely phrase, where we're just going to kind of immerse your guys for two days at a time and give them a certificate. You know, it's the, the Wizard of Oz school of, uh, of, of, of training. Here's a yeah. certificate. You'll now have courage. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, and, and your organization will be magically transformed. And, and that's what Agile became. And it turns out that a, that a, a, a slew of, um, scared, uh, I don't know, uh, un, un, underinformed middle managers with a certificate is still a bunch of scared, underinformed middle managers. Yeah. Right. You know, right. No, nothing got better. Now, Buried in, in all of that is still, I think, the manifesto is still there 14, 15 years later saying software is more important than documentation. Uh, people, human beings are more important than, than rules. Uh, we're over here if anyone wants us. <laughs> and, and, and so, so when I talk about accelerating agile and I've I actually started calling it software faster these days because it just, it just it puts the whole agile conversation to one sure, side. Sure. You know, software faster is, um, we should focus on the right things and we should use the right lens to look through. And if we do that, maybe some things will fall into place. I so, like the word velocity. And that's, oh, you know, where the conference is all oh, sort of yes, tied up in yes. that word, but I love that word. So velocity is interesting because velocity, uh, it suggests, if you go back to the origins of this, of the word and the, and the intent of the word, it suggests speed in a direction. Mm -hmm. Okay rather than just going fast. Now, velocity, if you ever look at any agile process that, you, that measures velocity, usually in story points or features or stories or whatever, uh, velocity is a single unit metric. It's in, it's in points. Mm -hmm. It's not in points towards a particular goal. And this is where the wheels start to fall off because we've lost sight of the fact that we're trying to solve business problems and instead we've decided that our job is to produce software. And the faster we can produce software, the better we're going. Right. Whereas, so, so you're saying that every, uh, I don't know what you would call it, every sprint has a velocity or every item has a velocity. And well, instead of an overall velocity that tells us how fast we're running, you want, you want velocity towards a goal. I, yeah, I was, I was actually going to say, I would pan back from that. I would say, I don't want to measure the, the, the size of any story or feature yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. I, want to, so I want to, how far am I from uh, having impacted the business? How far am I from having affected change? You know, someone right now uh, wants to take credit card payments um, in Hong Kong, and they can't take credit card payments in, con in Hong Kong. It kind of doesn't matter what features I deliver or, or how many points they are or whether I have standards or any of that stuff until they can transact in Hong Kong, at which point they're happy. And so my job isn't to write tons of software. My job is to minimize the lead time, like the wall clock time between now and that moment mm -hmm. and focusing on the user and the, and the end goal rather than focusing on the, 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 the big pile of software that we think we need to write, I think right. changes your perspective. Well, and I appreciate the idea that that's a business metric. It's got nothing to do with code at all. 
Well, how about that? And and interestingly, if you look at sort of if you look at how the the various metrics have emerged in well in software generally, but in the agile space, uh, anything other than lead time to this business metric to to the to the some end user being impacted is a proxy for that. And the reason we have proxies is because the the real thing is either too delayed in time to be useful or too expensive to gain or any of those things. And so we use a proxy because we think it's going to be uh, cheaper or more immediate. Yeah. And generally, that's solving the wrong problem. If we can instead deliver much smaller increments much more frequently, we can, we can try a thing, we can try a narrow part of that thing and hand that to a user and see what they do with it. And you instrument the app and you instrument the process and you, and you, and, and you allow that to feed back into what you're delivering. And then suddenly you have a genuinely small a agile delivery model where you're, you're producing stuff and you're seeing what the impact of that stuff is and you're letting that impact steer more stuff. Is this where we really fall down is the whole instrumenting part? Um, I think it's the, it's the presenting symptom, to use a medical term. I think the, um, the underlying cause is that we're looking in the wrong place. And the underlying cause is that we, we get tied up in the idea of software and software craftsmanship and beautiful software. And in fact, exactly the comment you were, you were um, playing back earlier, Richard, the, um, uh, the guy saying, well, I've, you know, I, I'm discovering that good enough architecture is, is fine in a lot of cases. Um, focusing on the goal of helping people move forward rather than the goal being beautiful software in and of itself um, significantly changes your perspective. And, and ultimately getting the code in front of people. I think that's the real implication I thought that Terrence had there was until the customer was actually using it, I was making stuff up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful summary. That, I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, we, we can add layers and layers of pseudoscience to the making stuff up. But at the end of the day, that's what we're doing until we have hard data. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I'm a performance tuning guy. <laughs> every time folks are showing me, you know, every time someone's showing me code that hasn't been put in production, says, "How do we make this faster?" I'm like, "There's no way. We don't know what to make fast yet." Uh, it doesn't matter what, as long as it's fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care what direction we're going, as long as we're doing it quickly. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine. I I I remember learning this um and very viscerally in one of those like uh, Satori kind of aha moments. Um, I was pair programming with a, a, a good buddy. And I'd written some, I'd written a thing and I was really pleased with it. And I was showing, him, I said, look, look, this is a really neat solution to this thing. And he said, Dan, that's a really neat solution. Is it live yet? And I, <laughs> I just went, yeah. no, no, crushed, gently drawing my attention to the fact that my beautiful code had exactly zero value right now. Right. right yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, isn't the challenging measure here is to actually know when the code has value based on its use. Well, and this is the hard thing. And I think, um, what I'm not saying is don't care about code. Um, what I'm saying is, uh, well, the, the closest I've gotten to a definition of this, uh, I, I still struggle with. And it's this, is you're holding two uh, conflicting values simultaneously. And someone explained to me that uh, there, there's a bunch of, of hardcore philosophy that says that is impossible. But right. I'll, I'll tell you them anyway and then see where we go. Uh, um, so the first thing is I will write the best code I can. Okay, the, my first value is I'm going to write the best software I can. You know, I'm a professional. I've been doing this a long time. I know what good software looks like. I'm going to try and write good software. The second concurrent value is I will have no emotional attachment to any software I write. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, that's asking for the world, man. 
how could it, right? it how could you not have emotional attachment to best well so um that was my was, was is a very sensible next question and what i realized that these guys were doing who who really do you know operate at a, at a what i believe is a genuinely higher level what they seem to do is transfer that emotional attachment because you do want to take pride you do want to care about a thing the thing they care about is the product. The thing they care about is the impact that's having on people using their software. So this was in a trading context. So they cared less about the, the, the beauty of the code and more about the impact on the traders. Was it making them uh, happier? Was it making the trading more successful? I mean, you, obviously you've got bottom line kind of you know, revenue metrics, but also you've got just genuine emotional, is this software a pleasure to use? Is it frustrating? Is it obvious? Is it easy to discover new things. And so the kind of the very human interaction aspects, that was what they got excited about. Right. And so they were writing software as a means to that end. And that meant that they would focus on writing as little software as they could to get that impact as quickly as they could. And it also meant that if they thought of a better way of doing something, they had no complaint throwing away an existing solution to replace it with something better. So again, we get down to good metrics, and this sounds like business metrics. Are we selling more? Is a sale more valuable? All of the kinds of things that we can actually measure as compared to pre previous times. You know, you're always measuring deltas, not actuals, to know that we're actually doing better. It's an age-old problem we've been talking about on the show since episode one, and that is you, the the disconnect between the the stakeholders, the business people, and the developers. Perhaps that's a, an artificial distinction. So um, Jeff Patton, who if Jeff Patton hasn't been on .NET Rocks, you, you should definitely talk to him. Uh, um, is He's one of my favorite kind of agile UX people. And he, his first encounter with, uh, with agile methods, uh, he's, a, he's a pretty good programmer and he's a fantastic um, business product guy. And they said, so, Jeff, uh, are you going to be uh, the customer or are you going to be the, the programmer team? He said, sorry? Well, you've got to be the customer or the programmer team because that's how the that's how we work. Said, Why can't I be both? That's not how agile works, Jeff. You've got to be one or the other. And and he he had a beef with it from from the very beginning. Is he said, well, look, you know what? I'm a pretty good programmer, and I know what I want in a product. I have to mm. choose, which mm -hmm. sucks. So because there are you know we've got a bunch of really good programmers, and not that many people who really understand product, I'll go on that side. And then became known as an agile product guy. It turns out he's a really tasty programmer. <laughs> um, and, and what I found the, the, in terms of successful delivery teams, and I'm not going to use the word agile, just, just successful, is they actively, artfully blur those boundaries. So you've got um, traders sitting amongst programmers, and the programmers are sitting next to the traders discussing trading, watching the same screens that they're watching, discussing the markets, discussing various different instruments and coming up with strategies for trading ideas. The traders are uh, prototyping ideas for algorithmic trading in uh, Excel or you know, some of them are learning Python. Mm. And, and you know what? This is not going to be world-class code. It's going to be a sketch of an idea that someone can go and play with. And because those boundaries are now deliberately blurred, you end up with much, much shorter lead times to individual kind of uh, experiments, if you like. And the feedback into the development process and into the product kind of uh, worldview is, is short enough that you can use that as a, as a genuine guiding metric. You don't need a proxy. Nice. Okay. Well, this is, again, one of the original Agile 
conversation points was keeping that domain expert as close to you as possible. Well, exactly. So Scrum has the product owner, but the product owner over time has become like a delivery policeman. Right. You know, we, we can't trust those. We can't trust those shifty team members. So the product owner is going to have to tell them what's what and do the prioritizing and hold them to account and all this sort of thing. And in XP, you have the on-site customer, who's this wonderful omniscient person who apparently is uh, effortlessly representing the conflicting views of twenty-seven senior business stakeholders who all want slightly different things. Uh, if you have uh, the original C3 project had 12 of the best programmers in the world uh, and a, uh, a, a finance accounting professional who was like, you know, she knew everything about how Chrysler's accounting systems worked and she knew exactly what she wanted. I mean, I, I suspect there's quite a lot of ways you could approach that that, that, that couldn't possibly have failed. You know, that it sounds wonderful to have all of that wrapped up in one person, but often, and you know, tell me if you've had this experience too, but often uh, the best programmer or a really good programmer can be the greatest programmer in the world, but they may not have the judgment that says, you know what, we don't need that feature, or that is overly complicating things right now. I mean, because as developers, we love to challenge ourselves. And so, hey, we can do this with that technology. Let's add this, you know, if you're in charge of um, of both things. Uh, I find that developers have this disease that they just want to, you know, play with new stuff and, and get this feature out. And maybe it'll be a good idea. Maybe it won't. But, hey, well, at least we'll get to play with this feature or technology. So this is interesting. I, I think I don't think it's a disease. I think it's a desirable quality. I think the problem we, the, or the the the, um, the the way that we fail to engage that is, we have a focus on delivery, like delivery is the thing. Right. And one of the things I'm advocating in the teams I'm coaching is to identify three, specifically three different types of work and engage them differently. So delivery work is the one we know. It's features. It's new stuff. It's new capabilities in software. And I can show you I've delivered a feature. I can demonstrate it. Now, alongside of that is discovery, experimenting, exploration. That should be first-class work. And all of the kind of, uh, I guess, the, the, the agile methods that survived, if you like, none of them really have a space for uh, that creative um, exploratory activity as an ongoing first-class citizen. It's, it's at best, we call it a spike and we put it in a little time box. And of course you can have one of those, but really, you know, we, we, all sort of, you know, big stage wink and, and clearly that's not real work. You know, I totally understand what you're saying because, you know, I'm, I have that creative spark as well, but it has to be balanced out with, you know, is, is that a, is it a good time to do that? Or does, is that feature more because you want to do it? rather than it's going to be good for the product. Do you know what Absolutely. I'm saying? I mean, it, you, every, every situation is different and I, I want to hear all those ideas. That's definitely true. And none of them get squashed. That's goes without saying, but you know, sometimes you, you know what it's like. You just want to write code. I mean, Billy Hollis is right. We have a disease, you know, it's like it, it works out in our favor 99% of the time because we, it, it allows us to innovate and, and create new things and do things that other people weren't thinking of. But at the same time, 
it, it, it all has to be balanced against the appropriateness of the product. And, you know, are we going to miss a deadline because of that? Or, uh, you know, or is this a, a 1% edge case feature that would be really cool, but, you know, not all that practical? Th- this is what I'm saying. Balance. So balance, I think balance is the key. And the, again, we, I think we miss a huge opportunity by obsessing about the the delivery and the and the timelines and the deadlines because we've decided a priori this is the feature list this is the yeah. essentially we've gone back to old school project management right. but we we rather than calling it a gantt chart we call it a, a product backlog and that makes it legitimate somehow <laughs> so you know what 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 I've seen enough times that it's not a coincidence is to create enough space around the delivery to be trying different things. And you might come up with a much, much shorter way to the goal. And remember, the point isn't to deliver features. The point is to achieve this impact. Now, right. if while you know Richard and I are beavering away, turning out features, Carl's off playing with this thing and he comes back and says, guys, I've just found a tool out here that is going to try and do the, th- that is going to do the thing we've been trying to do. And it's going to do it in half the time. And from a standing start now, it's still the right thing to do. And Richard and I look at each other and go, that was a fantastic find. Yep. Well done. We're going to drop this code that we have no emotional attachment to, even though it's the best code we could have written, because we know the right thing to do in terms of the product and in terms of the business impact is to pick up Carl's idea and run with that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to turn over all the user story rocks and kill all the bugs with Agile Spray. Nice. <laughs> 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 Just squirt it on them. They'll go faster. Actually, Richard, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Mikolai Sachanka. Welcome. Congratulations, Mikolai. Mikolai wins the D-Experience subscription, Big Pile of Awesome from Developer Express. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. Dan, it's your turn. Tell us what you would do with $5,000. With $5,000. Do you know what, Carl? I am in a technology happy place at the moment. And I, <laughs> nice. I'm a tinkerer. Don't get me wrong. I'm a tinkerer. I've, I've had roughly a laptop a year for the last, uh, I'm going to go with at least decade. Nice. And about a year ago, I decided I wanted a... Uh, a middle-aged man phone. <laughs> so I got a, a Galaxy Note 3. It's a big old screen with big old fonts, and I can see it, and uh, and, it, and it works with my big see it. <laughs> <It's wonderful>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Middle-aged man phone. I can see it. I can read it. 
No, you put it next to a, an iPhone 5 or something, and it's like, what is this tidy piece of plastic? I don't understand this thing. So I have a, I have a big old phone, and it, and it serves a dual purpose, which is that if I'm attacked by a bear, I can club it to death. Right. <laughs> or a skunk. I haven't tried it on a skunk yet, but I'm feeling optimistic. Um, and then on the laptop front, I wanted a laptop that would have an all-day battery. And I'm a, I, was, I was happily running Linux on Samsungs and, and various other kind of uh, laptops. Mm. And literally the only laptop I could find that would last all day was a MacBook Air. So mm. I got myself a MacBook Air, and I hate that I like it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fantastic piece of kit. Um, I got the pimped one. You know, I got the 8, eight gig of memory and whatever else. Do you have the new one with the USB-C port? And no and so the new shiny thing has just come out and and that tops out at eight gigs as well i might i and i'm thinking no rush to upgrade this is actually i i've got to tell oh and the other thing i have to tell you in terms of life-changing tech it's nowhere close to your five thousand dollars uh the bose qc20i um mm. headphones are just fantastic i do a lot of travel i do a lot of flying and they do the noise cancelling thing yeah um but they're kind of they're in ear isn't quite right. They kind of they just sit just inside on your ear, but they're not kind of sticking your ear earbuds. Oh, that's good. Um, you can so you can wear them for a long time, and and they don't uh, irritate in any way. And yeah, so life changing kit. But they're also not the big cans, so you can actually sleep with them on. They're not the big cans, and exactly, so you can nod off in your seat, and 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 you're a for away. So, so the, the, the combination of, of Bose headphones, little MacBook Air, and, and big middle-aged phone is, is my happy place. And I suspect if, if I had that $5,000, it'll just be the refresh of all of that stuff. So the, 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 yeah. the thing that would make, me, make my world complete would be that, the same Bose headphones as Bluetooth, so I don't have uh, the cable. Yeah. Right. So uh, I heard that the BBC is giving every kid in school an Arduino-style uh computer to mess with did you see that i did i just saw this and i'm thinking if you're going to invest in that and roll out that program which is an admirable program why not just do it uh with, with the stuff that's there it seems an unusual thing to then go and build your own i thought so too yeah yeah it it's a custom little thing but maybe they got a deal on it i don't know obviously <laughs> they have to get a deal if they're going to give away that many right but I mean, sure, surely you just you just give the Raspberry Pi guys a big wadge of cash and say, "You guys rock! That's absolutely brilliant." Yeah. Uh, hand them out to all the kids. Yeah, I'm with you. And put yeah. it in a little plastic BBC branded box. Why not? Go nuts! But you know, the, 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 a lot of these, particularly, and I, and I have friends who who build these kind of these small products. So a good friend of mine built a, a thing called a Nova. Go, I'm going to I'm going to plug his thing, and he doesn't know I'm doing this. It's a it's a um, it's a flashlight for a phone. So you know how rubbish the fla- the flash is on a oh, camera yeah. phone, yeah, uh, on your iPhone or on your on your Android on your Android device. And so he's 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 into his photography. So he he designed a a fill light, like you know the old fashioned kind of way you'd, you'd have the guy holding the light above the the photographer and he'd go Boosh! when he took yeah, the photo. Sure. So that, but it's sort of credit card sized. It's called a Nova, and he did it as a Kickstarter. And he, he's doing this while holding down a day job. He's completely insane. Wow. But he's, you know, so the idea was very straightforward. The idea was, I want a flashlight that's connected via Bluetooth to my camera and timing and blah. And so then he's designed all the board and he's figured out the lights and then he's gone out to China and sourced all the pieces and, and learned about injection molding. And wow. So he's done the whole supply chain. And 
being the guy he is, he's, he's, he's kept a, a journal and a blog of all this. And you can see the vast amount of effort in that is not, I'm going to come up with a flashlight for phones. Right. It's all of the drudgery of the yeah. supply chain and the and iterating on the design. And if I use this component, it's five cents cheaper per unit than this component. And I'm going to make thousands of them. Right. And and like the Raspberry Pi guys already did that. And you know, and it's a labor of love, and it was a huge, huge undertaking, and they did it amazingly well. And and this is why I'm staggered that the PVC would would then want to go down that path themselves. And they've already flatly admitted, we're just going to do this run of a million, and then we're shutting down. Hmm. Which is insane. So, I mean, it makes it a, it's a dead product. It's a dead product. It's a one-off product. It's, well, okay, so if, if you're going to do that, give kids something where some of those kids are going to say, well, I'm going to get a, you know, a Raspberry Pi Series 2. Maybe that's the current yeah. thing. And so they all get one of those. And a percentage of those kids, but it's all the kids. So any percentage is good, right? Yeah. get really excited about that and they go into the maker scene and they go well i need something oh look there's now a, a, a version three that's come out with really similar pinouts but slightly different whatever they change and and now as you say you've got a growth path it's not just this dead product yeah and i wonder if this is enough numbers and we get we get lucky with the the population they'll keep it alive themselves you know i, well, I think about be. the old um um the OLPC, that really cheap PC that they they put out in Africa, a hundred the hundred dollar PC after that, that was really a challenge. I have one. I you know it was buy one for yourself, we'll send one to Africa. And That's the locals, you know, while the the company broke down and the whole thing sort of died, the locals have kept those machines alive. Hmm. They use them like they are useful computers. That's wonderful. Yeah, I would. I hope that happens here. But you're right; they made it harder than it needs to be. Yeah, and again, it must be an economic incentive for them to do that. Otherwise, why would they? Really? I mean, why would you give millions of? I don't know how many they're planning on making. A million. But a million? Yeah. But yeah, I one would million. Never... Right. Micro bits is what this thing is called. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would never attribute to malice that which could be explained by incompetence. That's a great quote, and I use it all the time, Richard. Yeah, and, I, <laughs> and, and the simplest solution is they just didn't think. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, and, and, but I, I would say the situation is recoverable. So, so one thing they could do very clearly is anything they design on the way through this is you open those patents. Yeah. Um, you, you, you publish the boards, you, you make it, you make it so that if someone as a, you know, uh, shed project as a kind of, you know, uh, a basement project wants to go off and produce a clone of that thing or to iterate on that thing, that they can do that. You know, it is still a prototype according to this article. And they're, so they are working with partners, but I guess it launches in September. So there is time to change their mind, you know, and I'm sure they're getting it from all sides too. Yeah. And don't forget, I mean, this is back in the eighties. These guys produced the BBC model B, which was like the, so so I I grew up with a ZX Spectrum and my buddies had Commodore 64 and the BBC B was like the, it was the grown up kids computers. Yeah. You know, it had BBC Basic, and it was it was what you did proper computing on, and then you know, and that that kind of spawned the Archimedes and the and that whole line of machines, and and it it really was uh, like noticeably different. You you knew that like the Spectrum and the Vic Twenty and the uh, I guess you guys had the Amstrad um, or the Tandy, the TRS. Mm-hmm. 
Um, those were clearly games machines yeah. that you could do other stuff with. The BBC B was a proper computer that you could play games on. And, and so they've got four. Yeah, that was a competitor to the Sinclair. It was a competitor to Sinclair, but it was very much positioned as, as you could do proper things with it. Right. And, and it, was a, it was a wonderful initiative. And, and I, I, I never had a BBC, and I was always slightly envious of the kids who did, because they know, just seemed to be more grown up than me. There was a statement on, in this article from uh, BBC Learning's Gareth Stockdale, who's developing the device. He says, quote, the BBC's role is to bring focus to the issue, and then we will withdraw from the market. So, uh, yeah, but I think they have more of a chance of withdrawing from the market if they use somebody else's existing technology rather than their own absolutely if they, if they have a massive floodlight that they can shine onto something they shine it onto something and 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 again if we're if we're going to sort of say bbc is a, a british institution and blah the 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 whole raspberry pi thing is a british setup and and that's that's a legitimate thing to point the flashlight at yeah yep interesting interesting diversion and arduino i'm not sure where arduino came from do you know do you know who do you know who who came up with arduino i do not do you richard no I mean, yeah, I, I think that's more of an American thing. But the Raspberry Pi was deliberately designed to be a, you know, a, a super cheap, very, very basic, uh, everything you need for a computer apart from the computer sort right. of thing. Yeah. So you've got the CPU, the graphics, the network, the, the you know, the HD, it's got HDMI out, which is yeah, nuts. It's pretty cool. Um, and, and runs on five volt USB. Yeah. But the, uh, oh, here is Arduino started 2005 out of Ivera, Italy. Oh, neat. So, but and they started from the basic stamp, and that's what I remember, yeah, right? Basic stamp. It was I the basic that. stamp, and and that was still considered pricey. So, how do we make a basic stamp cheaper? And that leads to Arduino. You got me into the basic stamp stuff. Curse you! Yes, way back when. But you know that, and that was back when it was. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a little computer that ran basic? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's amazing how much this stuff has evolved. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and these days, when I think of a language like basic. I think I think these the JavaScript implementations are the closest to it. Mm -hmm. uh, with all of the you know, other than we have a lot of scars around JavaScript, I think in reality it's that's what's close. Yeah, accessible. <laughs> so where were we yep. in this discussion of agile and I, accelerating agile? And I don't want to get away from this because I'm just thinking about how do these kids with this maker experience turn into developers that make software faster too because i think it's it's part of the path well richard you i mean i'm not answering for dan here but you you know what it was like when you were a kid there are technologies that you played with for a while and then they just went away and you glommed onto something new and and I, you know so there is something to be said for having a disposable technology when you're learning i suppose what gets me excited is and i've been involved in IT as a professional, okay, professional is probably a bit stretching it a bit, but certainly as, as, as my day job, um, for about 25 years. And before that, from, you know, from early teens being excited about ZX81s and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I've been around technology computers for uh, uh, the majority of my life. I have absolutely no idea what these kids are going to be doing in 15 years. Neither and I find that enormously exciting. Yep. The thing that I see is, you know, I see my friend's four-year-old boy completely at home with uh, an iPad moving around and getting clearly frustrated when he swipes the TV screen and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. 
right? <laughs> you know, and and uh, and another friend of mine has a nine-year-old boy who is publishing mods on uh, Minecraft. Right. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's really cool that right. we wow. have that infrastructure now. <laughs> I mean, and awesome that his father's investing in him to that degree. Uh, he's nine, and he's part of that scene. It's pretty and cool. Yeah, I, I have no idea where this is going to go. And I find that is hugely exciting. And I think if you look at what the BBC is doing in terms of creating that opportunity and democratizing that opportunity, so there's going to be a million kids all over England, all over the UK, um, who are going to have access to some stuff they didn't have access to. Now, okay, a big chunk of those kids have smartphones and stuff at home and tech. Yep. But do you know what? A good bunch of them simply don't. Right. And without this, wouldn't. And this could be the, the thing that unlocks uh, that child's creativity, that piques that child's interest, and that child goes on to be the child that, you know, figures out how to cure cancer or something. And, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. It's enormously exciting. Like, I, I, you know, we, it, all three of us, uh, I mean, outside of the musical thing, all three of us are literally doing jobs that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. Right, sure. None of this existed, and uh, there's. A, I have some irony in my family. My, my father was a compositor on a national newspaper, which was the guy who would lay out the type on on the on the pages so that the plates would be made so you would print the newspaper, and the type was had the capital letters in one wooden case, and underneath that were the little letters in in another wooden case, and that's why they were called uppercase and lowercase letters. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> and and he would pull down the I kid you not he would pull down the letters he would choose the font kerning was literally moving the letters the right distance apart and that was his job my first job out of university in 1991 was writing uh, electronic prepress software for desktop publishing automation of magazines that would do auto <laughs> that would basically make his job irrelevant hmm. and that was that that was then this is like you know twenty odd. 25 years ago. Um, so I've no idea what's going to be happening in 25 years. And yeah, so I can help people become less emotionally attached to mechanics of the code they're writing and care more about the goal, the outcome, the, the, the moving things forward. I think that that creates the optionality, if you like, that, that creates the kind of the, the, the curiosity to say, I wonder what other ways there are of solving this. Yeah, and it, I, you make me think in terms now of when I'm l addressing a project is how do I create measurements of success agnostic to code so that everybody can look at them, that, that everybody can be inspired by them, that you help resist that protecting the thing you made. So one of the analogies I've been using recently um, is to talk about programming like surgery so we, we we've gotten into our heads the metaphor of software as engineering or as construction of some sort and right. then all of the meta messages around that apply so a house is more valuable than a smaller house you know a bigger building is more valuable than a smaller building I think in terms of surgery i i come to a surgeon and i have a presenting symptom which is a a, a recurring pain in my my the right hand side and the surgeon says, oh, I, I suspect you have something with your appendix. Um, and what I don't do then is say to the surgeon, here are the sequence of things you need to do. 
<laughs> um, right. nor, nor do I say to the surgeon, do you know what? If there's two options, one of them involves you cutting me open, pulling all the bits out, mucking around with some stuff, putting them all back, and, you know, and the other one involves making a tiny little hole and fixing me up, I'll take the big one. I want more <laughs> surgery. I'm paying money for this surgery. Right? <laughs> like, I never said that. That's a great, great analogy. Thank you. So, so if you think of software as surgery, my business has a pain. My business has a presenting symptom. Right. You're, you're about to lift up my business and put some new stuff into it. What's the fastest recovery time I can have? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Those are the measures that actually care about. Are how, did, how quickly can you make the pain go away and how quickly can whatever you need to do to me stop affecting anything? So I think that... Well, and, and if you start thinking about it as surgery... Sorry, Carl. If you start thinking about this as surgery... Uh, um, then all of our existing software delivery metrics just are clearly nonsense. You know, story right. points or, or features is like how many procedures have I had? You know, how yeah. many stitches have you used? Because like more of those is better. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, lines I want of the code. smallest amount of yeah, 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 right. Lines of code, stitches in my in my gut. So this is like the I, I want the smallest invasive um, possible software impact. In so, so I think what I hear you saying is the, the takeaway for the show might be disassociate yourself emotionally from your code. It's probably good for you. Uh, you know, a, a, a surgeon is emotionally attached to his patients and, and the, the, the wellness that he creates for them, you know, even though he might admire his stitching abilities and his surgical abilities the real measure of success is did the patient survive? <laughs> right. right. Did, did, did I kill the patient? Yeah. Did I not kill, <laughs> did I kill the patient or did I helping the patient? Well, and, 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 and as a, as a kind of serious kind of uh, adjunct to that is that uh, a lot of surgeons, you'll go and see the surgeon and the surgeon will say, do you know what? There's a non-surgical solution to right. this. Right. And those are the best surgeons. Yeah, you're and right. You have this pain. I am fairly sure that I can do an ultrasound scan and I can eliminate whether or not it's a, do you know what? It's not an appendix. It's trap wind. I'm glad I didn't have to cut a hole in you. Well, you know, that's the you UK know? surgeon. Go the American you. surgeon is, oh, you got a little pain in your side. Let me schedule you for surgery. <laughs> you have a little pain in your side. Let me just see your insurance. Yeah. Yes, let's, I can give you the gold Yeah, your insurance. Will pay. Of course. We're going to schedule you. Get right in. Gown up. Get on the gurney. I'm going to go scalpel me a new yacht. <laughs> yeah, scalpel me a new yacht. There you go. Oh, I, I'm laughing and crying at the same time. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but and, and and sort of the same dysfunction for the same reason, right? You also get you can get into analysis paralysis in surgery too, where they want to test everything first and spend a lot of time rather than actually get to the work. Yeah. Well, and Richard, here's the thing. If imagine we sold surgery like we sold software. So as a software consulting firm, I'm not paid by results, right? I'm paid by how many person hours of surgery I can sell. Right. Yeah. yeah? So any problem that comes in, I want to make into the biggest surgical right. circus sure. I possibly can because that's where my revenue generation comes wow. from. As opposed to value-based pricing where you say, look, what's this worth to you? What's it worth to you to be this healthy? And I mean, you say, well, it's worth, it's clearly worth this much. Well, well then let's, that's the money off the table now. We, we know how much we're going to spend. I'm going to make the smallest amount of incisions I can to get you healthy. 
You know, that is so brilliant. Uh, that analogy has just completely changed my view about how software should be done. You should do the, th- I, I used to say, uh, do the simplest thing that works. And that's sort of related, but it's more focused on coding, right? But it, do the least amount of code to solve the problem is probably a better way to put it. The least amount of change. Well, uh, exactly. I describe it as you want to try and create the to to create the business impact with the smallest amount of code you can. If you if you can do that with no code, you win at code. Right. Yeah, that's the ultimate win, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know what? Do, 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 do you know what code has no bugs in it? No code. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Well, Dan, where are you going to, are you going to be speaking anywhere this, uh, coming up this spring and summer? Uh, I, I, I've got a whole bunch of things coming up. Let me see. I'm, I'm literally popping up my, my website now to take a look. I'm going to be at, uh, a mini conference called the DevOps Summit in London and then Cuke Up, which is the cucumber, uh, ADD testing jamboree, uh, in London. Uh, I'm going to be at a conference called Mix It or Mix IT in Lyon in France, um, which I'm very excited about because I'm traveling there with my wife and my little doggy. So we're going to hang out in Lyon for a few days. And then I'm going to be at Craft in Budapest. And then I'm going to be visiting the States twice in May. I, I don't get okay. over to the States that much these days, but I'm visiting twice in May. I'm going to be at Star East in Orlando at the beginning of May. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm at the ALM Forum um, over the other side in Seattle. Ah. Not coming to the East Coast. Well, if you did, you know you have friends out here too. So, always next time I'm next time I'm over your way. Believe me, I'll be hitting you up. Absolutely. Is there anything we missed in today's talk? We're ending a little bit early, but uh, it sounds like we're done. I'm happy. I think I think we covered some good things. Um, the, I guess one thing I would add is the thing I've been talking about for the last couple of years is accelerated agile. I've now renamed software faster. I, like I think it. that gets the the intent across better. Um, I'm I'm writing up the, the set of things and models and things in Software Faster as a Lean Pub book. So it's on Lean Pub slash Software dash Faster. Yeah, you might want to add "good" to the beginning of that title. Good Software Faster. <laughs> yeah, awesome dash Software dash. <laughs> yeah, <faster>. awesome Software <laughs> Faster. <laughs> but again, I don't want awesome software. I don't want awesome software. I want awesome outcomes. I'll have awesome. Yeah. I'll have awesome outcomes with crappy software over crappy outcomes with awesome software. Very well, well said. <laughs> but, uh, so that that is uh, to be to uh, full disclosure. It is very skeletal as books go. So don't go and rushing buying it and downloading it okay. yet. It's, uh, it's, it's nascent. Just, it's just there as a placeholder. It's nascent exactly. Yeah, I it love has that the word. chapter structure, the book structure, um, but that's all in terms of content. All right, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure chatting with you guys. Thanks right. for having me back. And uh, maybe we'll see you in London this uh, this fall uh, to uh, have a pint. That would be fantastic. I look forward to it. I think we're all in Oslo together, too. Are you going to NDC? Uh, I'm not going to be in Oslo. Oh, no. I'm going to be in, in in Paris with my wife, who's doing an art She's doing an art course there. So I'm going to... I'm going to um, tag along to that so, so I won't be in I won't be in Oslo this year certainly be at NDC London uh, I, I certainly hope so yeah me too alright maybe we'll see you there fantastic thanks a lot guys you bet and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks
Dotnet Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.